A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. It's not the 16 people. It's the 16 people who drove in a car, parked, touched a parking meter, touched a door handle, touched an elevator button. You know, we just don't understand ourselves as carriers well enough to assess this risk. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Before we dive into the news... We wanted to start this episode how we start our recordings, which is with a little meditation. We usually do this before we hit record, but considering the current um, state of the world, we thought it would be helpful to share it with you today. When we put out a call for meditations and mantras and reflections, you guys responded so lovingly and amazingly. So we're going to share one of those right now. May we be safe. May we be happy. May we be healthy. May we be at ease. We also have a little bit of business related to the coronavirus outbreak, which is we have canceled our spring tour. We were going to go to D.C., Philly, Boston, and New York. And to protect you all and to protect our communities, um, we're following the guidance of the experts that are saying, hey, let's cancel large gatherings. And so that's what we did. That was the most caring thing to do for our community. And we appreciate your patience. Um, all the 
refunds um, and information about the refunds will be handled through the individual venue sites, which you can get to through the events page on pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. We will also be looking for ways to gather virtually because not having events is hard on everybody and we are in need of connection as human beings. One of those ways will be watching the debate together that's taking place on March 15th. I'm really looking forward to what I hope will be a serious, illuminating conversation between Vice President Biden and Senator Sanders. The debate is this Sunday, March 15th. You can watch with us on Hot Mic. There will be instructions in the show notes on how to get onto Hot Mic. We have really enjoyed being there with a community of people in the two events we've done so far. So if you haven't tried it yet, download the app, pop on, meet lots of good friends there, and uh, we'll take in the debate together. So listen, we understand it's getting very intense out there. The World Health Organization has officially proclaimed the coronavirus, COVID-19, a pandemic. Um, I think we are all feeling the Um, increased intensity around the world and in our own country, which is exasperated by the lack of leadership um, at the very top of our own government. The government's response, specifically uh, President Trump's address on Wednesday evening, always leaves us with more answers, or excuse me, always leaves us with more questions than answers. And I think that wears on everybody. There's some glimmers of hope right before we started recording, Beth, the Senate has decided not to go to recess, which is, you know, the right call, considering there's a major crisis, and they're going to try to work on relief legislation. So that's good. It's difficult to know what the right moves are right now, because even as I believe that our legislature needs to get some business done, I worry about the health and safety of everyone who works on Capitol Hill. And certainly that is a a body with lots of high-risk individuals in it. And I know that everyone is struggling right now to know how seriously to take this. I see it all over my Facebook feed in particular, where there are folks who think that this is all nonsense. And I think there is a personality type that feels really good when they are able to claim everyone else is hysterical and I'm the reasonable one. I do not enjoy that personality type. I just want to go on record for that. But it's out there and we have to love those people too. And then we have the folks who are really leaning hard into data and sharing lots of information because that's their coping mechanism. And we have people who are very reactive And then we have a lot of folks who are just saying, gosh, I have lost trust in pretty much everyone around me. And no wonder, as you scroll all those different reactions, it helps me to remember. I know people get tired of Enneagram language, and I understand why. But here's what I find so helpful about the Enneagram. It talks about where do you go in times of stress? And we are in a time of stress right now. There are so few aspects of news that directly disrupt this many people's lives. And however you feel about the possibility of contracting COVID-19 or someone you love contracting it, this has become very disruptive to almost everyone's lives. And that's hard. So we're all going where we go in times of stress. we got to have a little patience for each other as we go there. As I posted on Twitter, I think this is just a time to pass out grace like candy because we're all going to where we go in times of stress. And I think that is totally right. And we have to give grace to each other. And I think if we had calm leadership at the top, 
there would be more space to kind of just manage ourselves. But for better, for worse, I think we have to step up and take responsibility for our families and our communities and do um, exhibit some of that leadership and management in our own lives by social distancing and helping to flatten the curve. We're going to talk about what that means in just a minute. Um, and I know that that um, feels intense depending on your personality type, but you know, I, I just think we can't wait for everyone to be forced to do the right thing. We all have to start doing the right thing and sort of exhibiting that social pressure because it's really powerful. Social pressure is powerful, right? I mean, you see those studies about if you put people's energy usage compared to their neighbors on their <laughs> or water usage on their energy bills, like it makes a difference. You know, nobody wants to feel even the most extreme personality types will bend to the idea of like you're an outlier and nobody likes what you're doing right now. It's it's in our DNA, right? From from way back when we were very, very dependent on each other. And I think what this is reminding us is that we are still very, very dependent on one another. And, you know, social distancing and staying away from one another so that the virus has nowhere else to host and live is really, really important. So let's talk about what that means, because I do think a number of people out there are confused about what's going on. Is this like the flu is it really deadly? Is it worse than something like flu or pneumonia that we live with all the time? Is this something that's just going to go away? And there are a lot of answers that we don't have. But I think what we know today is that this is a new form of coronavirus that we've not seen before, that the numbers in vulnerable populations are very concerning. So if you're older, you have some kind of pre-existing condition the outcomes can be pretty grim. We also know that when something new is happening and when lots and lots of people are getting sick at a variety of levels of seriousness, our healthcare system becomes even more of a scarce resource than it already is today. So when you see these graphs floating around or you hear the phrase flattening the curve and you hear conversation about social distancing, the point is to make sure that we avoid getting sick, not because we're all going to die, but because we don't want a situation where hospitals and doctor's offices are so overwhelmed with people who are sick that they can't serve people who get in a car accident, have a heart attack, uh, need cancer treatments, we don't want to run out of beds. We don't want to run out of prescriptions. We don't want to run out of tests. We're already in very short supply of tests for COVID-19. And so that's what we're trying to avoid. This is not, I, I'm kind of frustrated by all the language of panic that I see being used critically because making decisions to proactively prevent a run on a scarce resource to me is the opposite of panic. That's just good planning and prevention and leadership. Well, and what I think really frustrates me, my husband was like, oh, Americans, if they tell, if you tell them to shop in preparation, they're all on board. But if you tell them to minorly inconvenience themselves, then it's a panic. You know, I feel like there are people out there that are buying supplies and then turning around and saying that it's a partisan hoax. hoax. Like that exists. Stop it. Like you can't have it both ways. You don't get to do the easy things and say that's enough preparation and not the hard things. Um, there's a really great graph 
from the 1918 flu pandemic that I shared on Instagram. We'll put it in the show notes from a Washington Post article about Philadelphia and St. Louis. They both had cases appear close in time. Philadelphia delayed, like Italy, like currently the United States, social distancing measures like canceling events um, and preventing people from going out in public and being around each other. Um, Whereas St. Louis did it almost like two days later. And what you see is not necessarily that there was no flu in St. Louis. That's not the point. But the graph of mortality and cases in Philadelphia is a sharp peak. And St. Louis's is a steady rise and then steady descent. So the health system didn't get overburdened. It's not about, you'll well, I'm not going to get it and I won't die, so what does it matter? Which is an incredibly individualistic and arguably selfish way to look at things. Or... That, oh, well, if, if even if we do this, it's still going to spread. Well, yeah, it might. But that impact will lessen. And it's exactly like Beth said. Like, just because you might not need a hospital bed in the ICU because coronavirus wouldn't be so bad for your age group doesn't mean that you don't get in a car wreck and need a hospital bed. And I just think thinking through those things, that's why we have public health experts. Because everybody can't just look at this and find the common sense solution. You know, disease and viruses and the complexities of our healthcare supply are not something readily apparent to most of us. And that's okay. You know, this is, this is, this is the cost of not trusting any experts or any institutions. It's not great. In moments of crisis, you need institutions you can trust. You know, I think the really insufficient response of banning European travel and, and and labeling this a foreign virus by the Trump administration and its media surrogates reflects that America first, this sort of nationalistic response is just bluster because we can't claim America first and then continue to live globally, which is what we do. We fly, we travel, we ship, we trade, we treat the globe as our playground. And then when we want to act like America first and That's just not how it works. And American leadership is not always perfect, but we're sure as hell seeing now what happens when there's no American leadership in a global crisis. Yeah, I don't think it's helpful to personify the coronavirus, which is really the tool that the president has whenever he's unhappy with something. He personifies what he's unhappy with, usually attaches it to a Democrat and gives it a nickname. And that's his coping mechanism. And that's just not that doesn't work with a virus. You know, the coronavirus is not on Twitter. It's just not like that's your only tool. And it ain't going to work this time. It's not on Twitter. It doesn't have a nationality. Classifying it as foreign or Chinese only promotes racism and our worst instincts. We can't defeat the coronavirus. It's a virus. We're probably going to have this form of virus now just in the world. And I know that makes it even harder to think about all these measures we're taking because we can't all stay home forever. And I don't know when the risk of serious mass contagion dissipates. I'm not an expert, so I'm listening to people who understand things like that. And as I was talking to my daughter last night, who was in tears because 
her school is going to be um, done online until at least April 20th. Um, As we were talking about this, you know, I shared there are scientists who are going to work on treatments. They're going to work on vaccines. They're going to work on ways to test for this that are cheaper and more readily available. And we will find a new normal at some point. And right now, what we have to know is that school is not canceled for your safety. School is canceled because there might be one student in your building who has asthma or who has a heart condition or who has cancer. And that one student's safety is worth everybody taking a pause. I was on a conference call yesterday about whether a meeting should be conducted virtually or in person. And one of my fellow board members made such a great point. She said, you know, having a small meeting sounds like no big deal. Why can't nine people get in a room or 16 people get in a room? But it's not the 16 people. It's the 16 people who drove in a car, parked, touched a parking meter, touched a door handle, touched an elevator button, got in a room, left, and carried everything they picked up along the way to any number of folks at gas stations, restaurants, in their homes. You know, we just don't understand ourselves as carriers well enough to assess this risk. I think, Sarah, you do such a good job of talking about how human beings aren't good at assessing risk in general. And this is an area where the vast majority of us particularly do not have the expertise to assess this risk. What we can understand, I think, regardless of our education and background and just personality and life orientation, is that we have more options available to us when we overreact than when we underreact. There's a very real cost to social distancing, and it's not just in dollars, but but it's a big cost in dollars. We can address and mitigate a lot of that cost through federal and state programs, through consumerism later, through loans and extensions and all kinds of things. If we underreact, we don't have good options. Um, And so to me, this calculus is pretty straightforward, that we do the hard thing, we do the inconvenience, we incur some of those very real costs of social distancing because we know we know how to deal with those costs and we don't know how to deal with the cost if this thing spreads to a point that it overwhelms our healthcare system. We had a listener comment on Instagram and say, flattening the curve is what faith looks like. And I thought that was so beautiful. Like we are having to step out into the unknown to give grace to one another, to make some sacrifices, to really take a look at our priorities. And that is an exercise in faith, a really beautiful one, I think, if we give it a chance. And, you know, I think that there are lots of ways that we can try to help flatten the curve beyond just our own personal social distancing. You know, I think if you are not a leader who is in charge of an event or an organization, and you feel like, well, I don't have anything to cancel. You can give cover to the leaders that do. You know, so often it's just people who are mad that something got canceled that called. So if you see a leader struggling with this decision or maybe not taking it seriously, make your voice heard. Call and say, it's not going to come from the top down. We know that. So it can come from the bottom up. Hey, I want you to prioritize the safety of our community and I support 
social distancing and canceling all gatherings over 50 or whatever. Like, I think calling into people, people you know, communities you're a part of and saying, I think we need to cancel is a really powerful thing that we can all do right now to take that act of faith. I completely agree. And I want to think for a second about how we respond to people who believe this is all nonsense or even more than that, who genuinely think that this entire virus and the narrative around the virus is intentionally being inflated as a as a threat to President Trump. You know, the the first thing that comes to mind for me is that I really try not to make any single human being the center of the universe. And so making Donald Trump the center of the universe insofar as it relates to a global pandemic feels off to me, to say the least. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors, and I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick-dry polish. They say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick-dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. 
The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. I also think it's important to recognize that coronavirus doesn't exist in a vacuum. And the way that I've explained this to a couple people in my life is I think it's like removing a Jenga piece that hurts. And it exposes the fragility of the structure in general. Not all of what's happening right now in our society is because of coronavirus. It's because of the society we have and how it behaves and responds to a threat. And that, that is about our healthcare system, for sure. It's also about conditions that were sort of simmering that start to bubble over when a threat is introduced. We have had a stock market that was going to correct at some point anyway. This kind of pushes that correction. We have had a global oil market that had all kinds of tension and stress on it, and and this pushes that um, to the surface. It's probably going to push all kinds of things. It's certainly pushing our culture wars to the surface. And just being aware of that helps me to remember that this was one block in the tower, but it's a block that when, you know, a block that was holding a lot of the stability in our society as Americans was the fact that most things don't threaten us as individuals. And we've pushed on that block and said, here is a thing that even if it doesn't threaten your personal health and safety, it's going to be disruptive for you. And so a whole lot of things around that are going to shift in ways that feel really tumultuous. Yeah, I think tumultuous is the right word because, you know, I don't remember what podcast I was listening to, but they said there's no liberty in the pursuit of happiness without life. And so when you have something that threatens the health of people because it's at the foundation. I mean, we learned that in our conversation about Medicare. I mean, the the feedback we got from all of you is so amazing and so complex and so empathetic. And, you know, our healthcare system and therefore any crisis that strains our healthcare system is incredibly complicated. And it touches not just at how we feel about health, but like you said, of how we feel about econom- the economy and individualism and community priorities and leadership. And, you know, it's just, we have to to give ourselves a lot of grace as we confront all these things together. And I think taking it just a day at a time is what we have to do in a crisis that's sort of testing all these different institutions and ideas and cultural um, environments all at the same time. We're just going to have to slow it down, take some deep breaths, and take it a day at a time. And we are not going to be able to choose not politicizing the coronavirus. You know, they're going to be continuing calls not to politicize the coronavirus. But the truth is, it is political. There must be a response. I am a person who thinks the government should not respond to all kinds of things. 
public health is something that a government foundationally exists to do. There is a level of coordination of resources that is needed. There's a level of expertise that is needed. There's a level of coordination with other governments and world leaders that is required in a situation like this. And so we we must have the government responding in some meaningful way. There is a legislative aspect of that. There is an executive aspect of that. And as we watched President Trump address the nation on Wednesday night and in subsequent tweets and remarks and in prior tweets and remarks, it is it's difficult. What he said on Wednesday night was internally inconsistent. As soon as he was finished, his team started mopping it up because it announced a policy that I think would be ineffective under any circumstances, but he announced it inaccurately um, in terms of what the administration is actually doing regarding European travel and trade. I had a lot of feelings watching the president's address on Wednesday night, and for me in this time, when I am trying to be the chair of a board of a nonprofit organization that is meaningful to me, a parent, a wife, um, a daughter of an immune system compromised mother, the sister of a, a pregnant woman. As, as I am contemplating all the things, you know, an owner of this business and someone who feels a deep sense of responsibility to this community, the healthiest thing for me is not to sit around being mad at the president. So what I am trying to do, and I am better at this in some moments than others, is gather up all my feelings about the president and his handling of this and just sticking them in a basket that I am labeling, he's not up for it. Whether it is intellectually, morally, spiritually, I don't know, whatever the cause, he's just not up for this. And I am trying to shift my focus to the people who are up for it. And I think we have a lot of those. I mean, I think you're going to need a bigger basket, but I think that is probably the right approach. I mean, it's really hard because I think, especially in the press, you see this balance of he's not up for it. He's not going to be up for it. And also, we have to continue to hold him responsible. Like, there's no way to demand better without saying you are failing at this. People need tests. There are not enough tests. There are no tests in my community. And that's unacceptable. And it's like, how do you do that when he just, it's like, it's, it's hard. I think it's hard to hold to account what's gone wrong, knowing it will not get better and it will not change him. Um, I read a tweet that was basically like, we're all going to be, we're all going to have a lot more empathy for Puerto Rico. And what they went through after Hurricane Maria when there was no leadership. And so like holding that sort of righteous fury, not letting it consume you personally, acknowledging that like he, like you said, he's not up for it. And also like someone in the government needs to step up. And I think they are to a certain extent. I think the, like I said, the, that they're going to try to get relief legislation through instead of just recessing is a small amount of encouragement. Um, and you do see people stepping up on the state level, local level, and definitely in the business community. Although, may I take a moment and just say, why is Disney still open? Why? Why? That's unacceptable <laughs> that we would be suspending the NBA season and allowing people to flow f by the thousands through Disney World and Disneyland. Give me a break. That's unacceptable. I just need to get that off my chest real fast. 
You know, professional sports teams are not known for making decisions that have a cost attached to them, you know, and and I am really encouraged by how seriously people are taking this. I am encouraged by our governor in Kentucky. I think his administration is doing a fantastic job. I think that our local superintendent has done a great job. You know, there are lots of people who are who are really stepping up. And and that's what we want from leadership. I think that another dynamic in American life is that sometimes we want to, like, reach consensus on everything. You know, canceling our tour, for example, was a difficult decision, but an easy one. There, there was nothing to debate, really. The experts were saying, this is what you need to do. Okay, we need to do it. And it wasn't the kind of decision where we send out a survey to listeners to say, on a scale of 1 to 10, how comfortable would you feel attending this event right now? How concerned are you about traveling to this event? How far are you traveling? Do you think we should cancel? But that's kind of the way that we have made decisions for a while in this country. It is nice to see some decisive leadership where a pastor says, no, we're not having church on Sunday. The church might vote differently on this, but I'm going to step up and make this decision where the school superintendent says the community probably is going to be angry that school is canceled, but it's the right thing to do, so we're doing it. We, we haven't had that in a long time, and we need it. And I'm so grateful for the people who are doing it. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, this is the moment where you realize that that conversation we always have between trustee and representative is when you need a trustee. It's when you need someone to say, I'm going to do what's unpopular because it's the right thing, and it will protect people in the long run. And I'm not going to poll test it And I'm not going to um, worry about the social media response. And I'm just put it out there. I feel real good about stepping on Facebook when I did because I hear it's just out of control. Um, And I just think like we need that desperately. And we are going to have to find places to exhibit it ourselves if it doesn't come from our community or our organization or our school district, or whatever. I mean, I think we're all going to have to raise our voices and say this is what's right for everybody, even if it's hard for us as individuals. Representative Katie Porter did a tremendous service to the country in a hearing today when she pressed a CDC official to promise that the CDC will cover the cost of tests for coronavirus. You know, the president said that insurance companies are going to eliminate co-pays related to coronavirus, and that was from all accounts, inaccurate, that they were going to eliminate co-pays on testing for coronavirus, but not on every cost related to treatment of coronavirus. So that distinction is important. Representative Porter pressed to ensure that people understand they will get a test and it will be paid for. So please do not make a financial calculation in seeking that testing. I try not to get mad about a lot of this because it, it... it just anger is not a productive emotion for me in most situations. What does make me feel like I could spontaneously combust is the lack of testing that we have available. I don't understand why that's happening. And the idea that a doctor or a nurse has to look at a person who they think needs the test and say, I'm sorry you don't qualify under the guidelines we have about how to use the, the precious few tests we have right now, it 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 really sets me off. Um, and, and that is the area where I just, I cannot say strongly enough that we've got to insist on better, especially from our members of Congress. Like, th- there is no excuse for how few tests there are right now. Before we move on, 
I do just want to add that I think social distancing is really hard. And I think that there is a temptation for those of us who are taking this really seriously to police ourselves in a way that ignores our needs for interaction. This to me, if there is an opportunity to come out of coronavirus, it is an opportunity to to better connect locally and to think about who needs us. And so I just want to encourage people to continue to reach out. Um, I get the brass ring daily on your recommendation, Sarah, um, and I think it's so good. And this morning, um, Kara, the writer of the Brass Ring Daily, talked about how she's just been like texting people and checking in. And those tiny points of how you doing um, are are soothing in a way that's really important. And I hope that we can continue to to prioritize those relationships, even as the call is to distance from each other. We can distance with our bodies, um, but connect more with our minds and hearts. And I hope we can all do that. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. 
their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code podcast 15. So even if we weren't dealing with a global pandemic, there was a lot of news this week. (laughs) And we're going to try to get through some of that. I feel like doing my best. Here's what else you need to know, voice. Um, First of all, I think it's safe to say we have a Democratic nominee, which is incredibly buried in the second part of our show. But that's where we're at. Joe Biden had a really good Super Tuesday, too. And... I think the most decisive thing that happened was his win in Michigan because Senator Sanders won Michigan last go round, as we talked about on Tuesday. Most of the margins were were very decisive as well. Uh, very close in Washington state. Senator Sanders won North Dakota. I'm interested in learning what we can learn in looking at 2016 to 2020 in terms of primaries versus caucuses. There were several states that were caucus states in 2016, primary states in 2020. That's something that we'll probably explore on a nightly nuance sometime soon. But it does look like the path for Senator Sanders forward in the primary is extremely narrow. It will be made harder by Joe Biden's momentum and by the social distancing protocol. I mean, Senator Sanders' campaign has been given a lot of energy through large public rallies. And he, to his great credit, is taking this very seriously and canceling many of those rallies. And my understanding is that he plans to stay in Washington, D.C. after the debate on Sunday uh, to fulfill his duties as a senator. And I, I respect that very much. Yeah, I think that, you know, they're changing the debate, too. They're going to be doing that in D.C. without an audience. And um, I do like to see that the leadership coming from that side Now, I think what's interesting is Bernie Sanders did not expand his coalition um, than the ways that he needed to. But turnout was still really high, a lot higher than it was in 2016. And I think that's really encouraging. Michigan's turnout was huge. Texas's turnout was huge. Um, And I think that speaks really well of the chances in November. Um, I hope that that excitement and um, motivation continues. Let's put it that way. I agree with that. I also want to acknowledge the sort of one-two punch for lifelong Democratic women who were really excited about Senator Warren in seeing her suspend her campaign and then being flooded with analysis of how Bernie Sanders' rise in 2016 was more anti-Hillary Clinton and looking at all these numbers and coming to realize how much sexism is still baked into the way people view nominees. I mean, there's so much writing, and I think it's correct about how 
Joe Biden is not that different of a candidate than Hillary Clinton was in terms of experience and in terms of policy. And yet he is perceived vastly differently than Hillary Clinton. And that's hard. That's a hard combination of events. Well, I mean, I think it's difficult because, yes, it was still technically a race against Donald Trump, except for Donald Trump was perceived by most people as a joke joke candidate that could never win. And so I think that's part of it. And so I think I think some of the increased turnout is really not about Joe Biden. It's about Donald Trump. Um, That gives me a small amount of hope. But I, I did think as I listened to, you know, more analysis of Senator Warren's campaign and I'd listened to that daily episode in particular. And then I came home and I was looking at our calendar with all the Women's History Month dates on it from Represent Women. And they have this hashtag at the top and it says rules for parity. And it just sort of clicked for me, which is we cannot sit around and wait for Americans to decide that they are 100 percent comfortable with a woman president. I still believe it's inevitable. I still believe we'll get th- we will get there. But, you know, sort of asking us all to solve it individually so it can have a societal or legislative impact or electoral impact. Like, I don't know, it's it's not working. I'm not really happy with the timeline. So I thought, yeah, the the rules are what we need. It's like, you know, what Ibram X. Kendi always says about racism, that racism isn't about individual prejudices. It's about policies. And I think we have to stop sitting around and waiting for everybody to get right on this and start putting rules in place that can enforce more equal representation on the basis of gender and race, like ranked choice voting, like protections about money and politics and all those different things we talk about. I think ironically, too, that as we look at those policies, and this is a lesson that it's taken me some of my life to learn, the things that sound most neutral usually are the most detrimental. The policies really have to be affirmative in nature, and that's hard for a lot of people to get get right with. But when you look at this primary, it shows that what seems neutral usually is not. The Mm -hmm. requirements for uh, small dollar donations and polling, for example, effectively eliminated people of color from the race pretty early. And so it's really important to be thoughtful as we look at the rules and and not keep trying the same version of things that we've tried before. Well, the good news is we got some good, encouraging developments with regards to sexism in the Me Too movement with the sentencing of Harvey Weinstein this week. Harvey Weinstein was sentenced to 23 years in jail. And I honestly still don't know how to process that news. I was prepared for a sentence that was expressed in months, not years, and certainly not in decades. And Harvey Weinstein still faces charges in California, and so it is unlikely that this will be the only sentence um, that he'll be looking at. And I really don't know how to take this in, Sarah, because on one hand, I agree with you that it's encouraging to see justice done. And then there is the heart of a criminal justice reform advocate in me that struggles 
to celebrate any sentence that involves jail time. And so I just, I don't know how to make sense of this, except to say, I am glad that Harvey Weinstein's wealth and power did not seal him off from the kinds Mm -hmm. of consequences another person in his shoes would have faced. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that's hard. In a perfect world, we would only use the, you know, criminal justice system, particularly incarceration for people who are a real danger and risk to other human beings. And, you know, Harvey Weinstein is most likely not a danger to anyone else anymore. But I think I don't know what else justice would look like. And I want justice for these women. And until we have a better solution, we have to use the ones we have. And they deserve justice, and they deserve to see this man who everyone thought was untouchable go to prison for the rest of his life for all the trauma that he inflicted on these women. I do think it is a powerful statement that we're not going to adopt that view of rape that says it can only happen in the most narrow of circumstances when every Mm -hmm. condition is absolutely perfect, when there's no contact ever again, when the victim acts enough like a victim for everybody to be satisfied. I think it is important and powerful and, and yes, encouraging that we have such a pronouncement that that kind of behavior and crime is intolerable in our society, even when committed by someone with every resource at his disposal. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode and and sticking with us through some technical difficulties. The power decided to go out with me. We had some intense weather in Paducah, so we had to cobble things together. There might be more cobbling things together as our children are home from school. So we appreciate your grace, and we will be here. We will take this a day at a time, and we are all in this together. And as we continue to deal with our newfound resiliency in the face of difficulties, we wanted to leave you with a poem from Lynn Unger, U-N-G-A-R, called Pandemic, that she shared on March 11th. And I think it's just a beautiful way to process everything we're going through. What if you thought of it as the Jews consider the Sabbath the most sacred of times? Cease from travel, cease from buying and selling, give up just for now on trying to make the world different than it is. Sing, pray, Touch only those to whom you commit your life, center down. And when your body has become still, reach out with your heart. Know that we are connected in ways that are terrifying and beautiful. You could hardly deny it now. Know that our lives are in one another's hands. Surely that has come clear. Do not reach out your hands, reach out your heart, reach out your words. Reach out all the tendrils of compassion that move invisibly where we cannot touch. Promise this world your love for better or for worse in sickness and in health so long as we all shall live. Thank you again for joining us. We will see, we hope, many of you on Sunday for the debate on Hot Mike. We'll be back in your ears on Tuesday and with you on social media between now and then. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise.
We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Martha Branitsky, Tiffany Hasler, Joshua Allen, David McWilliams, Amy Whited, and Allie Edwards. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 